chapter 24. Please take your Bibles and turn there. And again, I, as always, I encourage you to keep it open as we reflect upon this chapter this afternoon. Ezekiel chapter 24. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, write down the name of the day, this very day. The king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. And utter a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, put on a pot. Set it on, and also pour water into it. Gather pieces of meat in it, every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder. Fill it with choice cuts. Take the choice of the flock. Also pile fuel bones under it. Make it boil well, and let the cuts simmer in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is in it and whose scum is not gone from it. Bring it out piece by piece, on which no lot has fallen, for her blood is in her midst. She set it on top of a, of a rock. She did not pour it on the ground to cover it with dust, that it may raise up fury and take vengeance. I have set her blood on top of a rock, that it may not be covered. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city! I, too, will make the pyre great. Heap on the wood, kindle the fire, cook the meat well, mix in the spices, and let the cuts be burned up. Then set the pot empty on the coals, that it may become hot, and its bronze may burn, that its filthiness may be melted in it, that its scum may be consumed. She has grown weary with lies, and her great scum has not gone from her. Let her scum be in the fire. In your filthiness is lewdness, because I have cleansed you, and you were not cleansed. You will not be cleansed of your filthiness anymore, till I have caused my fury to rest upon you. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not hold back, nor will I spare, nor will I relent, according to your ways and according to your deeds. They will judge you, says the Lord God. Also, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke. Yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Sigh in silence, make no mourning for the dead, bind your turban on your head, and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips, and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And the next morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things signify to us, that you behave so? Then I answered them, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, 
and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. And you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips, nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Your turban shall be on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities and mourn with one another. Thus, Ezekiel is a sign to you. According to all that he has done, you shall do. And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. And you, son of man, will it not be in the day when I take from them their stronghold, their joy and their glory, the desire of their eyes, and that on which they set their minds, their sons and their daughters, that on that day one who escapes will come to you to let you hear it with your ears? On that day your mouth will be open to him who has escaped. You shall speak and no longer be mute. Thus you will be a sign to them that they shall know that I am the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Not many of us here know what it's like to be taken from our homes, uprooted from our community, separated from family, relatives, and friends, and forcibly led away into a strange land. How many of us really understand what that would be like? To be taken away from your familiar surroundings, familiar way of life, familiar customs and traditions, and familiar worship would certainly be a monumental adjustment. In the year 597, King Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem. King Jehoiachin surrendered Jerusalem to the Babylonian army, and Nebuchadnezzar led a group of captives to Babylon. Among the captives was a young man named Ezekiel. He was only 25 years old when he was led away into captivity. He lived among the captives by the river Chebar, and his life was radically changed. Had he remained in Jerusalem, Ezekiel would have been a priest. As a young man, he was educated and trained for priestly service in the temple of God, but all his plans evaporated when he was led away to Babylon. Psalm 137 says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. What a difficult time it was for the captives. They were cut off from the land of promise, separated from the place where God made his presence known, far removed from the temple. It was a very discouraging time. But after living five years in Babylon, suffering with the other captives under God's covenant curse, Ezekiel was appointed as a prophet to the Jews in captivity. When he was 30 years old, the year when he would have been uh, ordained to the priesthood, when he would have assumed the full responsibilities of the priesthood, Ezekiel was called by God as a prophet. The Lord revealed himself by the river Chebar in a glorious vision. And Ezekiel was appointed as God's messenger, a spokesman to the captives. But brothers and sisters, 
we have seen that his prophetic task was certainly not easy. Not only did he have to speak harsh and difficult words, but he also had to act out various prophecies to communicate the word of the Lord to the captives. For example, Ezekiel had to lie on his side for more than a year, eating a meager diet of food cooked over fires fueled by manure. Laying on his side was intended to remind the captives that Israel and Judah were under the weight of God's judgment. God was punishing them for their sinful ways. Ezekiel's small amount of daily food, a starvation diet, represented the shortage of food and the terrible suffering that would come upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem during the coming siege, the final siege. On another occasion, the Lord told Ezekiel to shave his head and beard with a sharp sword. The sword represented the sharp sword of the Lord. The hair of his head and beard represented the inhabitants of Jerusalem. After cutting off his hair, Ezekiel had to burn a third, strike a third with a sword, and scatter a third to the wind. And he had to save just a few hairs. This enactment prophecy showed how the Lord was going to destroy most of Jerusalem's inhabitants and scatter the rest, saving only a few. Ezekiel's baldness symbolized the empty, bare city of Jerusalem. In so congregation, Ezekiel's task was far from easy. He not only spoke words of judgment, but he also used vivid and memorable signs and symbols to illustrate the message of God to his exiled people. His message was one that was not favorably received by the people. In our chapter for today, Ezekiel 24, we once again see the prophet acting out God's message to the exiles. Enactment prophecy number one, the pot's symbolism in verses 1 to 14. Enactment prophecy number two, the prophet's suffering in verses 15 to 27. The pot's symbolism, the prophet's suffering. Verse 1 provides us with a date when this event took place. Again, in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. The date is January 15, 588 B.C. It was a very important date, for it marked the beginning of the final siege of Jerusalem. On the very same day that the Babylonian army surrounded the city, 700 miles away from Jerusalem, Ezekiel received the word of the Lord by the river Chebar in Babylon. In verse 2, the Lord said to him, Son of man, write down the name of the day, this very day. The king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem this very day. It was important for Ezekiel to write down the date, for it would later confirm his authority as a prophet. Eventually, when the captives would learn through a messenger the date of the beginning of the siege of Jerusalem, they would have to acknowledge Ezekiel's prophetic insight. 
You see, there was no way that Ezekiel could know the date when the king of Babylon started his siege against Jerusalem. There were no telephones, there were no, no email, no text, no Facebook, no radio or television news reports. Ezekiel was 700 miles from Jerusalem. There was no possible way that he could say, today Jerusalem is under siege. It could only be through divine revelation. Once the news was brought to the captives that on January 15, 588, Jerusalem was surrounded, they would have no choice but to acknowledge Ezekiel's authority as a genuine prophet of the Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, in verse 3, we read that the Lord instructed the prophet to utter a parable to the rebellious house. Although the text does not specifically say that Ezekiel had to act out this prophecy, it is very likely that he did in light of the enactment prophecies in the first part of this book, as well as in the second half of this chapter. Ezekiel had to take a cooking pot. He had to put water and choice pieces of meat into it and hang it over the fire to boil. He probably did this in some public place, just as he did with his other enactment prophecies. The symbol of a cooking pot was used once already in this book back in chapter 11. The pot represents Jerusalem. The choice pieces of meat in the pot represent the people of Jerusalem. Ezekiel had to leave the pot over the fire until it burned away the meat in the pot till the meat was utterly ruined. Verse 10 says, have a look there, verse 10. Heap on the wood, kindle the fire, cook the meat well, mix in the spices, and let the cuts be burned up. Then Ezekiel had to set the empty pot on the hot coals, melting the pot itself. Look at verse 11. Then set the pot empty on the coals that it may become hot and its bronze may burn, that its filthiness may be melted in it, that its scum may be consumed. At this point in Ezekiel's prophetic ministry, people were used to his strange ways and they would have undoubtedly asked, what's the meaning of all this? What are you trying to say? And they would then hear the words of verses 6 through 9 and 12 to 14. Ezekiel's drama pictured the destruction of Jerusalem and its inhabitants. As the meat was boiled and burned up, so the people of Jerusalem will be destroyed. As the pot itself melted into a chunk of useless metal, so the city of Jerusalem and its beautiful temple would be burned. The fire under the pot represented the Babylonian army. They would melt the pot, Jerusalem, and consume the meat, its inhabitants. Brothers and sisters, within the city of Jerusalem and among the captives by the river Chebar, there were false prophets. There were false prophets who assured the people that God would never allow Jerusalem to be destroyed. He just wouldn't do such a thing. They insisted that the exiled people would soon return to Judah. They provided false hope, false assurance, false confidence. Ezekiel's message 
was just the opposite. The meat is going to burn, the pot is going to melt, the smoke is going to rise, and the whole thing is going to be destroyed. The message of the cooking pot was both clear and terrifying. Ezekiel said the siege against Jerusalem has begun this very day, and it's only a matter of time until the entire pot will melt. This day marks the beginning of the end. The pot is on the fire. There's no hope for Jerusalem. It will be lost. Why? Why would God allow the destruction of Jerusalem? Wasn't it the place where he had chosen to dwell? Why was he going to allow the beautiful temple, the symbol of his presence, to be leveled? Because the covenant people had become covenant breakers. What does verse 3 call them? A rebellious house. And look at verse, verse 6. Verse 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot whose scum is in it, and whose scum is not gone from it. Jerusalem's called a bloody city. Verse 7 says, for her blood is in her midst. Now, this may be referring to the blood of the prophets, or it could also be speaking of wicked acts of violence against one another, trampling over each other to succeed. Verse 7 speaks of her blood being on top of a rock. Blood on the ground is absorbed by the ground and becomes difficult to see. Blood on a rock is not absorbed and is plain to see. Jerusalem shed blood and left it uncovered. In other words, they had no shame and didn't even bother to hide their crimes. Because of their wickedness, idolatry, and violence, they became like worthless scum in a pot. When you read the book of Ezekiel, you learn that Israel was guilty of many, many Sins, everything from idolatry to sexual immorality, Sabbath-breaking, bribery, usury, extortion, dishonoring parents, oppression of the helpless, they had forgotten God. They had forgotten His grace, His love, His mercy. They had forgotten His covenant, His gospel, His gospel. Verse 13 says that God had tried to cleanse them of their filthiness, but they resisted His cleansing. Because I have cleansed you and you were not cleansed, you will not be cleansed of your filthiness anymore till I have caused my fury to rest upon you. People of God, what we see here and throughout the book of Ezekiel is that God is a pure and holy God who demands holiness from His people. When they love Him, honor Him, and live by His word, they enjoy His covenant blessings. When they dishonor Him, they suffer under His covenant curse. The burnt meat and melted cooking pot was exactly what Jerusalem deserved. They disregarded their sin, made themselves repulsive, and God said, I'm going to kindle a fire and destroy it all. Now, congregation, we may think that these Old Testament warnings have little practical relevance for us today. 
But I submit to you that they're very applicable. God calls His church to be holy and pure. He calls us to a life of complete and loving devotion. We're to separate ourselves from the forbidden pleasures of the world and live in such a way that we provide the world with a glimpse into the holy and pure character that God we claim to love, worship, and serve. When there's no longer a clear distinction between the church and the world, God is angry. When the church embraces the world's warped values, unlawful pleasures, and misguided priorities, God is angry. When the church goes through the motions of religion with no genuine heart for God, no sincere love for the gospel, no appreciation for His amazing grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, no sorrow for sin, God is angry. One of the major problems in Jerusalem was that many people mistakenly assumed that since they were the chosen people, they were safe. They had the temple, the priesthood, the sign of the covenant, the outward symbols of a relationship with God. Therefore, He would preserve them. They were sadly deceived. Congregation, can this also happen today? Are there professing Christians today who also mistakenly assume that since they're members of the church, possess the outward symbols of the Christian faith, attend worship nicely dressed, contribute to Christian causes, are marked by baptism and participate in the Lord's Supper, could it be that some mistakenly assume that they're right with God? Could there be those today who are also sadly deceived. It is a tragic and fatal error to think that going through the motions of religion is going to keep you in God's favor. It's also a tragic and fatal error to think that you're right with God no matter how you live. The people of Judah had been living in a manner that directly contradicted Scripture, and yet they believed that they were secure. God's temple could not be destroyed, they thought. Yes, there are professing Christians also today who seem to believe that grace provides a license for disobedience. Since we're saved by grace, apart from works, the law is no longer all that important. Since Jesus freed us from the law, we are no longer obligated to keep it, it is sometimes argued. Brothers and sisters, that is a distortion of the truth. Yes, we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Yes, salvation is by grace from start to finish, apart from works. But the Bible everywhere loudly declares that believers strive to keep God's commandments, not to win His favor, but out of loving gratitude for the grace already shown to them in Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Grace never gives anyone the right to do what is wrong. Grace never gives anyone the right to do what is wrong. 
Therefore, when people think that they are right with God, no matter how they live, and when they live in a manner that compromises or contradicts Scripture, yet all the while believe that they are secure, they are sadly deceived. Those who are truly saved in Christ always, always long for greater obedience. We slip, we stumble, but we're, we always have this yearning in our heart to express gratitude to God through obedience, a life devoted to the service of our Savior. So, dear friends, if you show little desire for godliness and obedience, if you're like, then you're like the people of Judah in the days of Ezekiel who were spiritually deceived. And if you are spiritually deceived, if you show no desire for godliness, God is angry with you. May Ezekiel's cooking pot be a warning that God wants your heart, your love, your life, your trust, your exclusive commitment. He wants you to live by His grace and for His glory, to show your love by your warm-hearted obedience. And if you do not devote your life to Him, the consequences are eternal. The burnt meat and melted cooking pot point to a, a greater judgment that is coming. The eternal fire of the wrath of God that will fall upon the unrepentant, the unbelieving, the hypocrite, the formalist, the covenant breaker. There is a fire that is far more terrifying than the fire which destroyed Ezekiel's cooking pot. Thank the Lord that He has provided a way of deliverance through our loving Savior. Jesus bore the fire of God's wrath for all who trust in Him. He faced the fire of holy indignation so that God's tender smile may be upon you forever. Instead of facing an angry God on the day of judgment, you may stand before Him fully reconciled through faith in Jesus through the blood of the cross. May the anger of God against Jerusalem, which we see in these first 14 verses, drive you into the arms of your Savior, who alone can rescue you from the unquenchable fires of hell. But there's also a second enactment prophecy in this chapter in verses 15 through 27. We not only learn from the pot's symbolism, but also from the prophet's suffering. The prophet's suffering. In verse 15, we read that the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel again. We don't know the time stand between the cooking pot episode and the events described in verses 15 through 27. It may have been a number of months when Jerusalem actually fell. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. And he received a very painful message. Of all the things that the prophets of the Old Testament had to do, the task given to Ezekiel at this moment must be among the most difficult of all. What did the Lord tell him? That his wife was going to die. 
and that her death and his response to her death were to serve as an enactment prophecy to the captives in Babylon. Look with me in your Bibles to verse 15. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I take away from you the desire of your eyes with one stroke, yet you shall neither mourn nor weep, nor shall your tears run down. Wow. What a shock this must have been for Ezekiel. His dear wife was going to die the next evening, and Ezekiel was not to mourn openly for her. Can you think of a more difficult assignment for a prophet than this? He must have loved his wife very much because in verse 16, the Lord called her what? The desire of your eyes. Ezekiel had a good marriage. He had a wife that brought joy to his life, who filled his home with happiness. If there was one place, one place where Ezekiel could find gladness and exile, it was in the presence of his wife, the desire or the delight of his eyes. But God said, Ezekiel, Tomorrow evening, I'm going to take her away. I'm going to take her away. She may be healthy in the morning, but in the evening, she will be gone. Death can be very sudden, brothers and sisters. A young wife can be taken away in a moment. We never know when the Lord may take a loved one from us. But we do know that life and death are completely in his hands. Death is never an accident. From our perspective, it may sometimes appear to be an accident. But from God's perspective, it's not so. When a loved one is suddenly taken from us, it is extremely painful and heartbreaking. Yet for the Christian, there is some comfort in the fact that God is in control. That doesn't take away all the pain. It doesn't take away all the pain, but we know that he accomplishes his purposes also through death. In the case of Ezekiel's wife, her death was for the purpose of communicating a message to the captives to serve as part of Ezekiel's prophetic ministry. Now you may say, how could God be so cruel, so unkind? Isn't he caring, gentle, and sensitive to human pain and suffering? He certainly is, brothers and sisters. We cannot always understand the ways of God. As Scripture says, who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? Sometimes God's ways may seem to us to be cruel, unkind, and uncaring. But His ways are higher than our ways. And He promises that He will provide the grace sufficient for every trial. God said, Ezekiel, tomorrow evening, the most precious person in your life is going to be taken away. And you're not to participate in any of the customary mourning practices. Go to verse 17. Verse 17. Sigh in silence. 
Make no mourning for the dead. Bind your turban on your head and put your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your lips and do not eat man's bread of sorrow. Verse 17 describes what were some of the normal mourning procedures of that time. Israelite mourning included sighing, removing of the priestly turban, removing, of, removing one's sandals, covering one's lips, and eating a funeral meal. These were some of the practices that were commonly followed in Israelite culture as a means of demonstrating sorrow in death. But God told Ezekiel to forego the customary practices and to show no public grief for his wife. Congregation, verse 18 tells us that Ezekiel did not question the ways of God he did not challenge the word of the Lord. He submitted patiently to what he said. After receiving the painful message, Ezekiel rose the next morning and spoke to the people. Instead of spending the last hours with his wife, the desire and delight of his eyes, he got up and told the people what was about to take place. The text does not explicitly say it, but it seems to indicate that Ezekiel foretold his wife's death on the morning of the day that God took her. Then, at evening, his dear wife died. Verse 18 says, so I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening, my wife died. We don't know what she died of, but it was sudden. And in obedience to the word of the Lord, Ezekiel showed no outward sign of grief. When the people saw his unusual behavior, when they noticed his lack of mourning, they asked what it meant. They knew him well enough to know that he was communicating a message to them. Verse 19 says, And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things signify to us? that you behave so. They knew he had a message. Ezekiel said to them, as my wife has died, the desire of my eyes, so Jerusalem, the desire of your eyes shall be destroyed. As I have lost the delight of my eyes, so you will lose Jerusalem. As I have experienced a great personal tragedy, so you will endure tragedy when you hear about Jerusalem's fall and the massacre of your loved ones who still live there. Please go with me to verse 21. Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will profane my sanctuary, your arrogant boast, the desire of your eyes, the delight of your soul, and your sons and daughters whom you left behind shall fall by the sword. Verse 22, and you shall do as I have done. You shall not cover your lips nor eat man's bread of sorrow. Verse 23, your turbans shall be on your heads and your sandals on your feet. You shall neither mourn nor weep, but you shall pine away in your iniquities. Congregation, the Jews in exile loved Jerusalem. It was their pride and joy. They looked forward to the day when perhaps they could return to their beloved Jerusalem and its temple. But Ezekiel said, your beloved city, 
the desire, the delight of your eyes will be destroyed. And you will be numb with grief. The destruction will be so terrible that all customary expressions of sorrow will be inadequate to reflect the incredible loss. You will be numb with grief. You will be numb with grief. The exiles by the river Chebar would walk around in a state of shocked disbelief when they heard the news of Jerusalem's destruction. Verse 24b says, And when this comes, you shall know that I am the Lord God. I am the sovereign Lord. People of God, one of the curses of the covenant mentioned in Leviticus 26 was that if God's people departed from Him, I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation. That curse was soon to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. But what we need to see here, brothers and sisters, is that while the exiles would be numb with grief over the destruction of Jerusalem and the slaughter of their sons and daughters, there was another, there was another who was filled with grief, the Lord God of Israel. Israel was the wife whom God had cherished, the wife who was the desire of his eyes. In earlier chapters of Ezekiel, the Lord speaks of his relationship with, with the, his people as that of a marriage. God was the husband and Israel his bride. He loved her as a faithful husband and showered her with blessings. But the wife of Yahweh committed harlotry. We saw in Ezekiel 23 how she lusted after other men and gave her body to them. Thus she deserved the sentence of death, for in the Old Testament adultery was punished by death. Dear friends, the numbing grief of Ezekiel at the death of the wife he loved and the numbing grief of the exiles when they heard of Jerusalem's death, it was all rather insignificant when compared to the hidden grief of the Lord over the death of His wife, whom He had chosen and cherished. He loved His bride, but she had to die because of her harlotry. She must perish. If the prophet Ezekiel grieved the death of his wife with silent suffering, how much greater was the grief of the Lord at the death of Jerusalem? And then, congregation, as we ponder this, we can only be amazed at what God has done to once again claim a bride for himself. What has he done? How has he claimed a bride for himself? He sent his only begotten son into this world to be cursed, punished, crucified, and to die so that he may redeem a bride for himself. You today, the church of God may be called the bride. Because Christ loved you and gave himself for you, he suffered the punishment that you deserve 
you may be called the bride because he provides you with the white, spotless, pure wedding garment of his own perfect righteousness. In ourselves, we would be like Jerusalem, an adulterous wife worthy of eternal death. But through Jesus Christ, we are pure, spotless, holy, and without blemish. As the prophet Isaiah said, He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Congregation, do you understand what an awesome privilege it is to be called the bride? Do you understand what it costs our Lord Jesus so that you may be a bride pleasing to Him? Do you have some of the comprehension of that? Jerusalem, the bride of the Lord, was utterly destroyed because of her adulterous ways. But through faith in Jesus, you will never be destroyed. Jerusalem, the bride of the Lord, brought him much sorrow and grief. But the bride who is clothed in the perfect righteousness of Jesus will bring him great pleasure. You will rejoice in him and he in you forever. Brothers and sisters, these two enactment prophecies of Ezekiel once again point us to our desperate need of a Savior. By nature, we're no different than the Israelites who were destroyed by the Babylonians. We are unfaithful, untrue, ungodly. But by the astonishing grace of Christ, you may be called the bride. The delight of his eyes the bride in whom he is well pleased. One theologian said, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The people of God live as His bride. Love, serve, obey, and honor Him. And instead of eternal numbing grief, you will receive inexhaustible blessings from your faithful, gracious, compassionate bridegroom. What a tremendous gift. Let us pray. Lord, we're reminded again of your purity, your holiness, your call to your people to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And without holiness, no one will see the Lord.
Lord, in these enactment prophecies, we are reminded of your anger against your people and the fiery wrath that will come upon all who reject you or live in a manner that brings discredit to their profession. We pray that as your people today, Lord, you would fill the hearts of every single one of us here today with that longing for obedience and purity and holiness, displaying to the world something of the purity and holiness of the God whom we claim to love and worship and serve. May we ponder these things. We've heard many difficult words from the prophet Ezekiel words that expose the wickedness of the human heart, the wickedness that is often among your people, wickedness in your church. So we pray that you will purge us, that we may truly, Lord, having trusted in Christ, rejoice in the fact that we may be called the bride. So may we live as the bride is called to live devoting ourselves entirely to our loving, gracious husband. So, Lord, bring repentance to our lives where we need it. And bring assurance where we need it. But may none of us be characterized by false assurance, as many were at the time of Ezekiel. Work in our hearts, penetrate deeply. May we see the glory of our Savior. May we live for Him. Hear us, Lord. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.